All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Newsroom. I'm Fatima Shalavi, the managing editor at The Highlander. Um, I'm joined today by uh, Sina Omar, the assistant features editor, Evelyn Homan, the ops editor, and then Brenda Jovu, the assistant uh, radar editor. Um, today, we're going to be talking about a couple topics. Um, First, the Marjorie Taylor Greene suspension off of Twitter by our writer, Harry Stoltz. Then we're going to be going into Harry Potter, the Harry Potter reunion written by myself. And then lastly, we're going to be, we're going to be covering the Campus Coat written by Sina Omar. So hi, everybody. Um, starting off with the Marjorie Taylor Greene suspension, she was re recently suspended by Twitter for spreading um, COVID lies and other conspiracies. What do you guys think about this, um, Sina? I think that it's so funny to me that politicians keep getting banned from Twitter because they're spreading false information like these people are supposed to be in control of our government and making laws and decisions for us. And they're supposed to be representatives of like what the people think. And they keep getting kicked off of social media because they're spreading false information. Like I, it doesn't make any sense to me that these people were elected and then they were put through this whole process of becoming leaders of the people. And then they go on Twitter and make things up and spread false information for no particularly good reason. And then they get kicked off of social media for being not what they were voted to be. It just, it keeps blowing my mind. I don't understand why. Yeah, no, I definitely totally agree. Um, I think this kind of just really reminded me of Donald Trump's suspension after the whole like insurrection thing at the Capitol. And it's I feel like Twitter has every single right. Um, Harry mentions in his article that they have every single right because they are a private entity. And I think if you're um, I mean, everybody's entitled to free speech. But if you are at the level where so many people look up to you and they follow your information and they take everything that you spread as factual and you're kind of just up in that sort of level of credibility, you should really be held accountable to everything that you say on social media. And um, especially if it's spreading misinformation and um, causing people harm. Evelyn, what do you think? I think that in like highly polarizing things like pand the pandemic and politics, I think that it's impossible for anyone to feel one specific way. But I think where the danger comes in is that you can be a politician and I think feel however you want to about the pandemic because that's just the nature of being a person. You have your own opinion. But when you have like a public platform and you have a public position in office, I feel like you should be acting within the best interest of everybody, um, like the citizens of the country that you're helping to run. So I think it probably is in the best interest. I. I wrote an article like a long time ago about how I don't think that removing misinformation <coughs> counts as censorship necessarily, which is what people want to claim. Um, <clears throat> if you're removing misinformation, um, then you're essentially like keeping some like dangerous life and being perpetuated. Uh, so I don't think that it counts as censorship. I think if you're intentionally putting out dangerous ideas, uh, that's you, you definitely should be suspended for something of that sort. But again, you can feel however you want. Uh, but if you have a public platform where it's in your best interest to look out for the best interest of the people of the country that you're running, then you really you really shouldn't be using that as a place to espouse your viewpoints. Um, Brenda? Yeah, I agree because she is a congresswoman who is representing an entire state. And she's not only speaking to the people 
in that state, but to the world with her platform. And I think that with having such power and speaking to the whole world, you really need to take into account like the people who have suffered from COVID-19. You know, saying that COVID, the vaccines, they're not useful or that masks aren't useful either. It's kind of like a slap in the face for people who have literally lost their loved ones to COVID-19. So I think she definitely needs to take that into account because COVID is real and it's unfortunately here to stay for a very long time. But you should be researching as well on your own. Like even for myself, I definitely need to do research on COVID, on the different vaccines that are available because this is all new to us. So, and it's scary to everyone. And unfortunately we can't expect everyone to have the same opinion about the vaccines, but we can at least get the majority to say, hey, vaccines are working and we need to kind of like, especially with political figures like, um, like Marjorie, you know, she really does need to do her research and not only base it on one thing that turns out to not be 100% true. Going off of that idea of like the do your own research thing, which I know has become really popular. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm getting over, I'm getting over a cold. Um, I feel like, you know, absolutely like, you know, do your own research, but I feel like the problem lies. Have you ever seen that one like grid where it shows you like the reliability of different um, like news sources, like how like fact, like how much they factually report on different things. Um, now I personally am a skeptic. I feel like every media does have a little bit of a bias no matter what. Cause again, that's just the nature of being a person or maybe I'm just like being the cynical opinions editor. Um, but it's definitely important to do research, but make sure the research is coming from, you know, credible sources. Is it coming from scientific data, things like that. So by all means, like do research into things that you don't understand, but make sure it's not coming from sources that'll just fuel your confirmation bias and make you think you're right when you might not necessarily be. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you both sort of highlighted um, kind of just the situation with COVID entirely. And um, since COVID started, is that basically it has been really politicized. And the fact that you have really um, leading figures on social media kind of spouting out that like type of misinformation and I think it just all sort of contributes to um, COVID a vaccine like hesitancy which is the entire issue that we're finding ourselves now with the rising cases of COVID and um, everything kind of closing down again um, in terms of school we're back in uh, remote uh, instruction I think that's when um, using your social media platforms to kind of um, speak out about your sort of opinions or your bias, I think that's when it becomes really dangerous. I think that you can absolutely do or say whatever you want. Like she has full rights to say that, but with that comes the consequences of spreading that misinformation because she kept going on and on and on and on about all this, like COVID is fake, like don't get vaccinated and spreading all this misinformation. With that comes the consequence of her not being allowed to say that on a specific Twitter platform anymore. And I think that's wonderful. Like you can, everybody can do whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. Nobody can stop you from doing anything that you willingly choose to put out there. But if you are violating terms and conditions or you're spreading misinformation, you can have that right taken away from you in a specific platform form. So I think that with her, especially in these times where 
it's information is completely polarized and nobody agrees on anything, even things that shouldn't be politicized, like illness, everything that she's saying online, she doesn't deserve to be able to say that in that particular platform anymore. Totally agree. All right. Um, moving on to something a little bit more uh, lighthearted. Um, I re- I just wrote a review on the Harry Potter reunion special that actually aired on HBO Max on New Year's Day. Did you guys watch it? And what did you guys think about it? I didn't watch it personally, but I know that like there's been a kind of a trend of having reunions for shows. We had the Friends reunion last year and now we have this one. I think it's really heartwarming in the same way that like you know, a family reunion is heartwarming. It's nice to see. It's like old friends. You literally, in the case of Harry Potter, like they grew up on the screen with us. The characters grew up in the books, like as people were reading them. So I think there's like a whole like level of like, wow, you know, you get to see like, where are they now? Things like that. And I haven't watched it myself, but I'm hoping to watch it soon because I'm, I was a Harry Potter nerd, um, you know, and I think it's just really heartwarming to go. It's like, you know, coming back to some old friends. Yeah, I mean, so I actually grew up, I mentioned in the article, I grew up watching Harry Potter. I grew up more so with like the movies rather than the books. Um, but Harry Potter has become like such a huge part of my family and kind of leading up to the reunion special because we we're all kind of just super excited about it. We actually binge watched um, the Harry Potter series as we do every single year, either during Thanksgiving weekend or um, winter break. It's kind of just like a family tradition. We buy a, um, we buy some s'mores and stuff and uh, hot chocolate and every night we just watch one movie. And so we kind of did that leading up to the reunion special. And then we also went to Universal Studios just to experience Harry Potter, just because we have never um, been there before um, for Harry Potter. We were there like when they were building the world and we just kind of saw the sort of behind the scenes of them building the world, but we never got to experience it. So um, that's kind of how we celebrated the reunion special. But honestly, it was so heartwarming. I cried so many times watching that just because it felt so like nice to see everyone there and I mean there were a couple people missing from the reunion like Maggie Smith who plays uh, Professor McGonagall and then um, a few others were actually missing as well Um, and then something that I actually did not super I I was super interested in um, sort of learning about the connection between Voldemort and Harry the actors and kind of seeing seeing them sit in a room together and kind of talk about everything that went into playing their scenes together but sadly we didn't get to see any of that but overall overall I really enjoyed the uh, reunion special Um, Brenda yeah, uh, I didn't watch the reunion, unfortunately, but I did tell my coworker that I was going to read the first book for her just to see how Harry Potter and the, the entire universe of it, because I do think that now after 20 years, it's a huge legacy to so many people. And even from Fatima's article, I remember I just saw like the heartwarming and the family aspect that the cast members had with each other. And even with just seeing the promos on TV, you can really see how these cast members, they grew up with each other and they became a family. And even if they hadn't talked to each other for years or haven't been in the same room for years, it feels like time has not gone by for them. And I think the same can be said with Evelyn mentioning like the friends reunion. Time did not go by for them either. They're basically a family and 
honestly, with seeing these characters, with seeing these cast members coming back together for a reunion special, it's like immersing, as fans, you're immersing yourself into this world with them at the same time. And it's honestly kind of fun to see how now they're adults because I do know from like the Harry Potter when it first started, these actors, the majority of them were just kids. They were pretty young when it first started. And now to see their perspectives as adults, I think it's interesting to see how they think or they're viewing these movies in a different way, like in a more mature way, especially now that they've grown up. So I think that's the like the interesting aspect of reunions is that you get to see how much they've changed, not only in their age, but also in the way they think about the things that they filmed years ago with each other. I do want to pop in and say that I think it is unfortunate that it's kind of like the whole like Harry Potter legacy is definitely clouded by the transphobic things that JK Rowling has said on Twitter. Um, and I can absolutely understand if like people are like, they don't want to associate themselves anymore with Harry Potter. Um, I think, well, me personally, I feel like there's like a certain point when you are an author, when you let a book out into the world, it's no longer really your creation. It becomes whatever anyone else wants to make of it because that's just the nature I, I feel of sharing creative work. Um, so I feel like even though J.K. Rowling has said some really terrible things, it's not to excuse what she said, but if people still want to enjoy and appreciate her work and look at like the like bonds that people formed with these characters, I look at the bonds that the actors who played these characters formed with each other. I don't think that that takes anything away. Of course, I can't really speak to the extent of it because I'm not part of the trans community. Um, but I think it's important to bring up that I don't I don't personally feel like the entirety of Harry Potter and like what it's meant as a cultural juggernaut. I don't feel like it's ruined because J.K. Rowling is not the person that people thought she was. You know, I do think that that in so many ways, that is sort of what makes um, Harry Potter so special. I think it goes much more beyond one singular person or because um, just so many people went into making um, the Harry Potter films uh, specifically. So I do think um, sort of that wholesomeness and um, the fact that so many people put effort and work into making the movies what they are today. I think it takes it beyond just, you know, one singular person. Um, Sina? I didn't watch the reboot, but I did grow up watching all the Harry Potter movies and I read all the books in, within the span of like one month. And I also do this thing with my family where we watch all of the movies at every winter break. Like we sit down all together over like six days and watch all the movies. But um, I think like Evelyn was saying earlier that it kind of feels nostalgic. Like I know these people don't know who we are and but we all know who they are and they kind of feel like part of the family, especially when you watch these, them growing up over and over and over again on the screen. And I think something with a series that's this big that a lot of people have trouble with is kind of separating the art from the artist because there are so many artists when it comes to this film. Like just because J.K. Rowling was the one who wrote it doesn't mean that you're not supporting other people when watching it. Like you're supporting the actors who have openly spoke out about not supporting J.K. Rowling and said that they would have nothing to do with a reboot who has anything to do with her, which I believe she wasn't involved with the creation of the reboot. I'm not 100% positive on this, but of course they had to give her credit 
where credit is due because she is the author of the whole series. And I think that because there is, there's so much intertwining of people and so many artists behind Harry Potter, and it's just evolved into such a huge, huge franchise and series that it's more than just one person that in this particular situation, it's okay to admire this kind of huge work that of course she put out, but she's not like the sole perpetrator of all of this good that's coming from it. Yeah, thank you all for um, your sort of reflections and going into the last um, article that is being covered today. Um, Sina wrote an article basically about how to overcome the winter quarter slum and kind of just giving you tips on how to um, kind of motivate yourself and reorganize your day to day uh, routines. Um, what do you guys think about it? Brenda? Yeah, I really enjoyed how she gave tips on how to overcome the winter quarter slum, especially with winter quarter. I don't know what it is about it, but there's just like this lagging effect, like people don't feel as motivated as they do in fall or spring quarter. And maybe it's because of the winter blues or it's because, you know, it's really cold outside. It's just it just feels different from the rest of the quarters. But I do have to say that, you know, if you want to continue feeling motivated to do your work, both in school or in, your do in the jobs that you have, um, find a hobby or like just find something that de-stresses you even for an hour. I mean, for me, I knit a lot and I usually do it just to de-stress myself at least for like an hour or two. I either listen to a podcast while I'm making a sweater or I'm watching YouTube or a show. And I think it's important that we just take time to just be with ourselves um, and even with like talking to people, your family members or just FaceTiming or even hanging out with your pets, like that could be a way that de-stresses you as well. So I think it's really important that we take our mental health into priority, especially right now, since we're unfortunately going to be online for the rest of January. And who knows if we're going to go back to school in the beginning of February. Hopefully we do. Um, but it'll definitely be it'll be a tough transition from going from online to in-person or just staying online. So I really think that everyone should just find a moment throughout the days and just even for an hour, just relax for a little and forget about the world around you and just focus on yourself. And tackling winter quarter from a more like academic standpoint, one thing that is completely like revolutionized for me, how I like do my homework and take my time is that I took all my syllabi and all the due dates for every assignment that I have to do this quarter. And I put it into a giant like master list in this uh, organizational app that I use. And I've like organized it by like the date and the class and whatever the assignment is. And it's organized like all like down by date. Uh, so I can just see whenever something is due next. And it has made things incredibly helpful because I don't need to like go, okay, when is this going to be due? Like due dates are like no longer really like nebulous. Like I can just look at that like sheet and I know when exactly everything is due and I know, okay, well, if this is due on, you know, next Sunday, then I don't have to work on it until Wednesday. That'll give me enough time. And then that gives me, like Brendan was saying, some free time to sit. And I started working on this blanket that I'm going to be making for my friend and, you know, working on just things that make me feel good. So I definitely recommend like 
getting all your due dates in one place so you can look at them kind of like a like project at a glance sort of a thing because it, you'll realize you have like you don't have to like be spending so much time on homework when you have like all this time before due dates unless you're like me and I like to get things done way in advance but sometimes getting things done in advance means I don't have time for myself so I guess whatever way like it makes make it you make it work best for you um, but definitely recommend like getting all those due dates somewhere in one place so you can go, okay, I can do this now and this later. And I, don't stress yourself out as much over it. I feel like in winter, it's like so cold, especially in California, like we're used to having like 90, 100 degree weather year round. And then all of a sudden for this 10 week period, it's basically winter quarter is the length of our whole winter here. You're stuck in your room freezing cold because you don't have any jackets to go outside with because it's 60 degrees all of a sudden and there's just this overwhelming urge to sit in your bed and go to sleep because your blanket's warm and your bed's warm and everything around in that area is warm and you have the heat in your room and everything just feels so comforting and with that like obviously it's okay to do that sometimes but in order for you to get through your work and through your life, you do eventually need to get out of your warm cocoon. So when I wrote this article, I was kind of hoping that these would be motivators for people to get out of bed and get their work done. And also with winter quarter, something I noticed is that it's like the shortest break to look forward to. It's like two weeks after spring break, like with fall quarter, it's the first quarter and you kind of have like this big three week break to look forward to at the end and spring. It's like the marathon sprint to the six month summer that we have. So I just, I, it feels like this weird middle ground where it's freezing cold and you have nothing to look forward to. Yeah, no, I think this article kind of came at a sort of a perfect time for me because I take remote learning pretty hard. Um, not like, I don't know, not super difficult, but in the sense that it's super hard for my work ethic and sort of my day-to-day -day routine sort of just gets all jumbled up. And I don't know, it's so just disorganized. And I'm the type of person that I depend on like organizations and sort of like neat freakiness. Um, so definitely I always make a planner. Um, I haven't actually completely filled out mine yet just because of that work ethic sort of thing that I was um, mentioning right now. But um, I definitely... Uh, sort of connected to something later on that Sina mentions that it's important that you take a break for yourself. And I've been noticing for myself that while I'm, even though I don't do, don't have classes and um, I'm kind of on a break, I still feel that I'm pretty stressed out. And the thing is, is that I just, remote learning has sort of created this atmosphere where I feel like I'm at school 24 seven, um, connected to emails and then talking to my classmates. And, you know, it just feels like I do not have sort of a break. So um, I've noticed that even when I'm sort of doing something that I enjoy, um, I feel stressed out at the same time. So I'm really trying my best to sort of organize time during my day to sort of do things that I like and make more times for my hobbies. Because um, I sadly don't give so much time to things that I really enjoy doing. Um, but yeah, so I feel like this article could not have come at a better time for me since we just finished uh, week one of remote learning and we have a few more uh, to go. So um, yeah, that concludes newsroom for today. Thank you all for listening in to this episode. Um, see you all next week with new issues covered. Bye everybody.